Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Good to have you joining us online. Man, we've got a a wonderful and exciting week in front of us here at the Heights family. We have uh, youth camp. Uh, We leave this afternoon. I I think we're there till Friday or something like that. We have 140 kids that are going to be going with us. That's awesome. We have another 20, 25 uh, adults who are going to help do herding and corralling. Looking forward to a great week. I tell you all this to say, I, I, I hope you'll take a few minutes every day this week and just ask the Lord to move and to work and to speak in the life of each one of these young people. We're sure excited about this week and its opportunity. I'll be speaking with them uh, three of the next four nights. That's what I've been told. We'll see. Um, I'm really excited to be there. I, I, I had to miss last year, so I'm, I'm looking forward to being with our our young people this week, but I sure covet your prayers uh, for them. Well, we have, uh, man, what a great time of worship this morning, wasn't it? Wow. You know, I know it's, it's about the Lord. We're worshiping the Lord, but man, sometimes that really feels good, doesn't it? I think that's the way he designed us. I think that's the way it's supposed to be. Well, we are, uh, wow, we've covered a lot of ground since Easter. Have you thought about that? Or Sunday after Easter, I guess I should say. That's when we started into our series in Genesis, and we've covered that first section of Genesis now, 11 chapters, and, uh, and we've learned a lot. I mean, we, hey, there's a God, right? There is a God. He is a creator God. But in, in being our creator, he's not just a, a source for our being, but he is a guide for our living. We have learned that God made them male and female. Male and female, it's not a social construct. It's not just an evolutionary thing or a biological thing. It's actually a God-given design. We've learned the the value and the importance of marriage. As a matter of fact, when you just kind of step back from chapters 1 and 11 and look what God is doing. He's not giving in 11 chapters a whole history of the world and, and everything in it. But rather, he's giving us the key pieces we need to understand to why everything is, why it is the way it is, and, and what we build life on. And you know, marriage makes that list. That doesn't mean every person has to get married, but it does mean every person has to value and honor marriage. It, it's in the opening pages of the Bible because of the significance it plays to building a good life. We, we've learned where everything wrong came from. Really, it came from a simple idea. I, I can be more, I can do more apart from God. I, I, I can do what I want. And literally from all of us, we've all pitched into this, from all of us thinking that way comes everything from a flat tire to cancer to war and all, all the stuff in between. We learned where the flood came from and why. We learned how through one family line, Noah, came all the people groups of the earth, all the ethnos, the ethnicities, and, and how they got spread around. We, in this 1 through 11, we got this big view where everything came from and why things are the way they are. 
So that's the first 11 chapters. Now today, we, we, we open up in chapter 12 and we begin a run that's going to take us all, almost all the way to Thanksgiving. And we're going to zoom down now a little bit in history and look at a specific piece of it. That being the Israelites, God's chosen people. And what we're going to be looking at in 12 through 50 is uh, what we would call the patriarchs of the Jewish faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We're going to spend a lot of time with the life of Joseph uh, as we get to the end. But today we're going to see the start of all this in the person of Abraham. And the chapters, the verses we're going to be looking at uh, are called the Abrahamic Covenant. We, t- we threw that word out last week, the Abrahamic covenant. So turn with me today to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at a, a few verses in 12 and then a, a couple of verses in 15. Genesis chapter 12, and I will begin in verse 1. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old. Hold on to that age. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and he headed for the land of Canaan. Now, if you go over a few pages to chapter 15, chapter 15, and I'm going to begin in verse 6. If if, if you're using your Bible or you can do this in your Bible app, I, I would encourage you to mark Chapter 15, verse 6, you could call it, uh, what would we say? One of the most important verses in the Bible. Maybe one of the top three or four most important verses in the Bible. We've been introduced in 1 through 11 to a creator. And now we're hearing the answer. How can I be good with the creator? How can I be in right standing? Know that I have a good relationship with the Creator. One sentence, chapter 15, verse 6, is going to answer that. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? And the Lord told him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. And then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. 
After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. That sounds like a strange image to look at. The smoking pot, this flaming torch are actually representative of the Lord. How do I know that? Verse 18, so the Lord. It was the Lord that passed through that. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I've given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. So we just read, we just saw Abram get chosen by God. Man, it feels good to be chosen, doesn't it? I hope all of us have had the experience somewhere in life of being chosen. I'm guessing we've also all had the experience of not being chosen. We like one better than the other, don't we? Yeah, so he got chosen. You know, you think about it. Every time you've seen a list go up of who got chose or you see a person pointed to, don't we all instantly, immediately want to answer the question, why? And maybe instantly you know why. Oh, I know the way because they're the teacher's pet. Well, you know, the, the, the boss always gives them. You know, well, the co... I mean, either we don't know why and we're trying to figure out or we guess why or know why. But we always want it. When we see somebody picked, we want to know why. So why was Abram picked? Why, why did God look down on the whole earth and say, hey, you, how, how did that happen? You know, we don't know a single reason why. Now, when I say that, you know, I'm kind of thinking about, again, where we have been in Genesis. I think back in chapter 5, remember Enoch? About a month ago, right before July 4th, we were looking at his life. And we're we're seeing all these lives in chapter 5. But then we stop and we get a few extra sentences We get a little extra description about what a special life Enoch was and how it stood out from everybody else. And then we go to Genesis 6, and there's Noah. And Noah was described pretty glowingly by the Lord, wasn't he? I mean, Noah's life stood out from everybody else on earth. So clearly, when God's getting ready to do something with somebody, he'll say, hey, look what Enoch was like, or look what Noah was like. But you know, he didn't say anything like that about Abram. As a matter of fact, the only information we have about Abram before you get to what I just read, 11, chapter 11, verse 22 and following, you learn his descendants. You got to read a few verses to see his name, but, but you'll see the family line that will, will produce Noah, we learn that his father's name is Terah. Okay, so nothing special there. There's his descendants. But then here's a crazy thing, Joshua. Okay, now that's the sixth book of the Bible, not written by Moses. The first five books are. But Joshua 24 verse 2 is looking back to Abram, looking back to the beginning. And he makes the point that Abram and his father Terah were idol worshipers. They worshiped another God. You know how he got chosen? By grace. 
I, I think God very specifically, very purposely pointed him and said, I'm going to do it through this one. I'm going to use this one. No glowing, no glowing descriptions of how much he loved God, worshiped God, followed God. Man, li- listen, Abram's not only a sinner like the rest of us, he's a sinner going after another God. It's always by grace. It's always by grace that you and I are depending upon and counting on. Man, every time I begin to sing, I begin to pray, I step out to try to obey, I'm not doing that to earn God's favor, to buy God's favor, to pay back God's favor. I'm doing that because I trust in and have God's favor. Grace is what builds the relationship. Now, that's a, that's a wonderful thing to think about, isn't it? I mean, it's just kind of a warm fuzzy. Ah, grace. But, you know, God, by grace, choosing Abraham, that, doesn't that mean somebody didn't get chosen? I mean, Frank and Frieder weren't called. Susan and Sam didn't get the call. What, what about them? I mean, if somebody's getting chosen, doesn't that mean somebody's not? Does that just kind of leave the, the rest of us out of the picture? Absolutely not. Oh, this is important. Look at the end of verse 3. What does it say there? I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. In other words, he wasn't choosing Abraham and what will become the nation of Israel. He wasn't choosing them to be a cul-de-sac. Hey, I need a cul-de-sac to back up my truck of blessing and dump it. No, he was choosing them to be a conduit. I, I want to pour all my blessings through you and out to the world. Do you know you sit here today and you hold blessings that came through Abraham? You might be thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. Which blessings are those? Hey, do you hold a Bible in your hand today? Probably not all of us, but I'm guessing most of us in here consider this one of the great possessions in our life. One of the great blessings in our life. Not, not just the physical object, but the, the content and what's inside here. Man, this is my, this is my treasure. I, I don't know if you wrote, know this. It's written by Jews. You know what Jews are? They're all descendants of Abraham. Hey, if you hold a Bible in your hand, is there a chance you might hold Jesus in your heart? You know what Jesus is, don't you? If you go to the Christmas story, Matthew, Luke, both chapters, both books, make it very clear Jesus came through the family line of, go ahead and say it, don't be afraid, Abraham. Abraham, he's, he's, he's a Jew. He is the Jewish Messiah. If you hold a Bible in your hand and you hold Jesus in your heart, there's two examples of blessings in your life today that God poured through Abraham and his descendants to bring to you and me. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? So we're holding all these blessings. It, they are for everyone. Now, God, what we just read about today is God beginning that relationship with Abraham. It is a covenant relationship. I referred to this a little bit last week. A a covenant is a lot like our contracts, very, very similar, except a covenant's a lot more binding. I mean, contracts are supposed to be binding, right? We get good lawyers to write good binding contracts, and then we get other lawyers who can help us get out of the good binding contracts contracts, right? A covenant you can't really get out of, and you'll you'll understand that why a little bit more of that in in just a moment. So a a covenant's a little bit more binding. You know, another thing that's a little bit different is we have all kinds of contracts. 
As a matter of fact, a lot of us probably don't even realize all the contracts we have in our lives because not all of them are paper that we sign. Sometimes just you're buying things, there is an implied contract between you, you and that, that source. We have yeah, all kinds of contracts. You do not have all kinds of covenants. In the Bible, there are not all kinds of covenants. Covenants were very unique. They were very, very special, and, and they were between very unique and special parties, okay? So there's difference between covenant and contract. Now, like a contract, here's where a covenant's similar, okay? As you're striking a covenant, both parties are going to, hey, here's what one party needs to bring to the table. Here's what the other party brings to the table. So as we open Genesis 12, it starts with, God's striking a covenant and says, hey, here's what I'm bringing to the table. Number one, I'm going to make you a nation. Now realize he's saying that to a man and a woman, Abraham and Sarai, who are 75 and 65 and have no children. That they have come through the baby making years without a child. And now those years are over. You would think kind of hard to believe now we're going to have a child. And yet God said, hey, I'm not only you going to have a child, man, a whole nation is going to end up coming from you. Abram believed that. Just so you understand what he's, when, when it talks about him believing, that this is what Abram believed. God, God's going to give me a son. God's going to make a nation out of me. But God says, hey, I'm, I'm going to bring you uh, a, a nation. Number two, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your name great. Number three, and we just referred to this, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And number four, I'm going to give you a land. Okay. And you and I know that land today as the land of Israel. So God says, Hey, here's what I'm bringing to the contract or the covenant. Here's what I'm bringing to the table. And Abram, here's what he has to bring. Faith. Faith. He, he, he needs to believe that God is who he says he is, that God can do what he says he's going to do. He needs to bring faith. He needs to bring trust. He, he needs to bring belief. And again, uh, 15.6, and he believed the Lord, and a very important phrase, and it, he counted it to him as righteous. Abram, by your believing, God's already declaring you're in the good. You, you are in the good with what? With the covenant. You, you are fulfilling what you need to bring to the covenant by your faith. You're in the good. Okay, so, so God brings these four things. Abram brings belief. Each party now has an understanding of what they need to do. And so now we sign, right? We sign contracts. Most time we don't have a clue of what we just signed, right? Am I, am I the only one? Sign contract is do what I'm told, right? Okay, so what you and I just read in chapter 15 through 17, which was a little weird, animals being cut up, a lot of blood, that's their signing of a contract. What you're reading there in Genesis 15 is not a weird, why did God do that? This isn't a weird description of what God and Abram did. This is what anybody in that culture at that time, not just Jewish culture, in that whole area of the world, that's how they signed a covenant. I mean, it gives new meaning to signing in blood, right? 
So that's what they're doing. That's what's being described there. So anybody that's entering a coven, you would bring animals. Why animals? You know, we've got a special love affair today with animals. We wonder why are these animals being killed? Well, back then, animals was currency. Animals was your value. As a matter of fact, when we get a little further into Abram's life and we see the blessings, you're going to see how many animals that he has. That, that's how a person's wealth is going to be measured is by their animals. So it's, when you're bringing these animals, it's like, no pun intended, I've got skin in the game. Okay, I'm putting value into this. So Abram brings these animals, they're cut in half this way, not this way. Okay, so they're cut. Please don't imagine me being cut in half. I'm just trying to make it clear you understand the animals here. So the animals are cut in half and they're laid to each side. And then we see God walk through it. Okay, now that would have been true. That in any kind of covenant, both parties would have walked through the middle. Now you, you think about it, you got these animals cut in half. What's, what's running to the middle? A lot of blood. A whole lot of blood. And so you're walking through it. I mean, it's getting on your feet, your sandals. It's getting on the hem of your garment. I don't think they had the kind of cleaning products we did. So now that blood's always on that garment. You know, I mean, it's a mess. And the idea of what is happening right here as you walk through is that if I don't keep my end of the covenant, then may what we're looking at right here be what happens to me. That's signing in blood. Okay, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, if I fail in this covenant, then may all this be where I end up. Now, the interesting thing about this story I don't know if you caught this or now that you're thinking about, okay, understanding what is going on here. They didn't both walk through. Only God walked through. Grace. It's by grace that you and I get to begin a relationship with God. It's by grace that that relationship is maintained and sustained. It is by grace that that relationship comes to its fruition, that it, that it comes to its fulfillment. We're always dependent upon His mercy, upon His kindness, upon His favor. God is the one who holds the relationship together. O- only God walks through. In Genesis 15, when God walks through, do you realize right there, he is pointing straight at the cross. God never failed the covenant. God never fell short in the covenant. Israel failed in the covenant. You and I failed in this. I didn't enter a covenant with God. Hey, you're his creation. He's our creator. There's an implied contract. You don't murder. You don't steal. You don't lie. The whole Ten Commandments. And we know them in our heart. Whether they were delivered to us or not, like they were to Moses and the Jewish people, we know. We know in our heart that that law is true and right and good. We've all failed the covenant. But was it our blood that was spilled out? Now watch this. You've, you've, you've just read Genesis 15. Now let's go to that night before the cross at the Lord's table. Jesus holds out a cup. And he says, this cup is my blood. And it represents a new covenant. 
I'm going to build a new covenant with you. Where the law of God's not written on stone, it's written on your heart. God will be your passion. God will be your desire. I'm striking a new covenant today. And tomorrow, I'll walk through the broken animals. Except it won't be animals' blood, will it? It'll be his own blood. He will shed all of his blood. He will be cut in half. He will be crushed to sign the covenant. God's devotion, God's commitment to you. That's incredible grace. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to finish the sermon, and I'm going to let somebody else finish it for me. You might know him as the Apostle Paul. And I'm, I'm going to let Paul finish the sermon today by reading Romans chapter 4. I'm a little scared of doing this because Romans chapter 4 is long. And every speaker knows the longer you read, the more you lose your audience. So I'm just asking you, hang with me here. But I want you to see what Paul is doing in the very long Romans chapter 4. Paul is going back and he's grabbing Genesis 12 and 15... He's bringing it forward to the cross, and then he's taking it right to you. Watch watch how he does this. Romans chapter 4, I'm beginning in verse 1. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have something to boast about. Look what I did. Look what I accomplished. And that's what religion helps us do, right? Got all these religions in the world say, no, 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 you need to do this. You need to obey this rule. And then you can say, look what I've done. Look how righteous I am. Look how good I am with God. But that's not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abram believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. That's Genesis 15, 6, right? When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God, who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happenings, the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. David said, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. Man, I hope a lot of us in here today are enjoying that joy. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Man, can you say, thank you, Jesus, for clearing my record of sin? If you can, say it in your heart right now. Verse 5, now is this, oh gosh, this is an important question. It goes right back to picking and choosing. It goes right back to Genesis 12, 3. Now, is this blessing only for the circumcised or is it also for the uncircumcised? Now, let me stop right here because for the rest of this message from Paul, we're going to hear the word circumcision and uncircumcision a a lot, okay? So circumcision is the kind of the rite, the ritual that Jews went through as they entered the Jewish faith. As Christians, we are... We're baptized, right? That's kind of our right, our ritual for entering the Christian faith. They were circumcised. And that kind of became what they were known as, the circumcised. 
And the uncircumcised, whether they were physically circumcised or not, the uncircumcised just became everybody else on the planet, all Gentiles. So sometimes in the Old and the New Testament, you'll hear the word circumcised, uncircumcised, Jew or Gentile. That's kind of what it is representing there. But more importantly, what Paul is dealing with in Romans 4 is our tendency, your tendency, my tendency, to take a a, a religious ritual, a religious rite, to take something God's told us to do. God told him to be circumcised. God's told you and I to be baptized. And you and I will take these things God's told us to do, and what do we do with it? We say, look at me. Look at me. Look what a holy person I am. Look what a spiritual person I am. Look what a good person I am. I've I've been baptized. I I go to church. You know, I I give. I do this. I do that. Now, yes, indeed, these are all things God's told us to do. But our tendency is to take our faith off of God and now put it on my own actions. I'm now boasting in what I've accomplished. I literally put God in the position of owing me. Folks, sometimes you and I do that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to church today. Why? Because I need God to show up big this Thursday. See, if I go to church today, then God owes me. Now, I'm no longer depending upon faith, on grace. I'm no longer believing on God. I'm now believing on myself. And I'm anticipating God's going to see how great I am too. This is what, what Paul is trying to deal with here. So that was a long interruption, Paul. I'm sorry. Let me, let me pick back up here. Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abram already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous, even before he was circumcised. So Abram is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. That would be you and me. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God by, that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. Because if there's a law, you are going to break it. As you point to yourself and say, look what I've done. So the promise is received by faith. It's given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. Remember the song, Father Abraham has many sons, many sons has... Okay, not so much. All right, verse 17. That, that is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I've made you the father of many nations. Way back there in Genesis 12 that we just read, God's talking about you. 
If you have faith, if you believe on God, you can say, Abraham, I'm now in his family line. He, he is now, now my father. This is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I've made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abram believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Amen. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Are you in a place right now in your life? Just losing hope? Just losing hope. Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, this is how, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age. Now, wait a minute. What did we read back in Genesis 12? How old was he? Seventy-five. He's a hundred before that son is born. So when it says Abram believed... Abram, Abram never gave up hope. That was after 25 years. You thought he was old when he was 75. Abram's now 100. Sarai is now 90. Man, there's, you start to lose hope after waiting 25. Have you ever waited for a promise 25 years? Most of us, we wait 25 minutes, we're done. 20. You know, we talked about waiting on God just a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? It's a profound way God moves and works in our lives. Why? Because in the waiting, we hope. In the waiting, we have faith. In the waiting, we hold on. At about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abram never wavered in believing God's promise. I mean, folks, this is the example and the model held out to you and me. Abram's, Abra, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. How do I bring glory to God? By believing him, trusting him. Even when I can't see, can't tell that he's moving, that he's working, that any promise is going to be answered. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Remember, he's saying that as a hundred-year-old who's yet to have a kid. And because of Abram's faith, God counted him as righteous. How many times have we heard that line now in Romans 4? And when God counted, well, there it is again. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. What are we believing? The one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He, has, he was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Hey, let me tell you something. If you haven't been baptized as a believer, you need to. You are living in disobedience to God. He said, when you put your faith and trust in me, you need to follow that with believer's baptism. You're disobeying something God said. If you don't do that, but don't think for one second that baptism is what makes you right with God. Or any other command we obey 
in the Bible. What makes me right with God is Jesus Christ. What he did for me on the cross, what he did for me in his burial, what he did for me in his resurrection. My friend, God invites you and me into covenant relationship today. He did that way back in Genesis 12. So you today, in August 6, 2023, could enter into a covenant relationship with God. My faith, my, my assumption is that many, 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 many of us in this room watching online, we've entered into that relationship. We enjoy today the covenant relationship that the blood of Christ bought for us. I didn't walk through the blood. It wasn't my blood poured out. He didn't fail. I did. His blood. And that's my faith. And that's my hope. Now, while I trust that many of us have, I also trust that some of us have not. And if you're here today and you've not entered into covenant relationship with God, I want you to know right here, right now, today, he is inviting you into this covenant. What does he bring to the table? Love, forgiveness, guidance, protection, hope. Eternal life, eternal home in heaven, eternal riches, dare I say, and more. The list is longer. What do you bring to the table? Your faith. Your belief that God will do what he said he's going to do. You know, folks, it's tricky today in our culture, in our world, in our language, throwing out the word faith because it's such a shallow word in our culture. I mean, to have faith, all I really need to do is say, yeah, I believe in that. And, and go on with not a thing changed. Sure, I mean, and I do, yeah. I got to believe in something. Is, that's not what faith is in the Bible. Let's think in Genesis 1 through 12 now what we've seen as faith. God went to Noah. He said, Noah, hey, it's going to rain a lot. You need to build an ark. Noah believed him. So what did Noah do? He built an ark while he waited a hundred years for that flood. While he was being mocked and ridiculed. There's a lot of reasons. I'm not sure I believe in this. How about Abram? God said to him, I'm... I know how old you are. I know how old your wife is. I know you've never had children. Let me tell you something. When I'm done, nations will call you father. And Abram believed. What did that mean Abram did? It means he packed up all of his stuff and he moved to a land that he knew nothing about that God said, I'm going to give you. Faith meant movement. What do you believe about God? How does, it, how does that belief move you? We're not talking about a movement that pays God back, that earns it, that now says, God, you owe me because I've... We're just talking about what faith is. God's promised me something in belief of that. I move. I, I, I trust a lot of us in here, we believe God forgives, don't we? And I believe God forgave my sins at the cross. How much of our heart and thoughts are still continuing on a path of shame and guilt? You know, every moment I give to shame and guilt, I'm saying, God, I don't believe your forgiveness. I don't believe you can do what you said you did at the cross. Or or how about this? Jesus actually said, I can look at you and know how much 
You're enjoying my forgiveness by the way you give it to others. When I withhold the forgiveness, I'm saying to God, I really don't trust and believe in yours. You you see, my movement isn't making me, you know, look what I've now done. God owes me. My movement is showing how much I really believe in God. I believe it so much. I'm taking an umbrella even though I haven't seen it rain. I believe it so much. I'm going to get the baby's room put together. You imagine looking at that baby's room for 25 years. And his faith never wavered. What do you believe about God? What's it moving you to do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I pray that uh, all this day, all this week, we would be consumed with the thought of what are the things I believe about God. And Lord, I hope in most of those things, we're saying thank you, praise you, I love you. But Lord, as we think through what we believe about you, may we be looking at, okay, what does that move me to be? What does that move me to do? Because I say I believe Oh, I pray it's a good week of faith, oh God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.